You're listening to Potluck, the podcast that stirs up a unique flavor of people, culture, and brands in Asia. Hosted, as always, by Scott and Drago. Hello and welcome. I'm Scott Percival. And I'm Drago Jurov. And you're, you're listening, listening to the pilot episode of Potluck. Now, we'll explain what Potluck is all about in just a moment, but first we should introduce ourselves, Drago. Now, I've heard you describe yourself as leaving you know, post-communist Bulgaria for post-bubble Japan to arrive at a post-modern understanding of brands and consumers. Now, Drago, can you help me by explaining that clever piece of personal branding, please? You think it's clever? Thanks, man. Um I've actually updated it a bit now, uh, but in a nutshell, um, uh, what's happened to me is that I left post-communist Bulgaria to go to university in Japan, studying social psychology, uh, during a time um, uh, when the country was trying to deal with the effects of its um, economic bubble bursting. So I was there. Um, Then I made a stop in post-reunification Hong Kong, uh, then founded an insights agency in post-Lee Kuan Yew Singapore. Uh, that was seven years ago now. So lots of posts. Um, you'd think I'm with the mail service. <laughs> but yes, um, I'm fascinated by change and how people and brands keep evolving to stay relevant. That's my thing. Okay, now, Scott, you told me that in the beginning you were design thinking. Into research you ended up sinking, and now you're just whiskey drinking. Man, that sounds like one hell of a downward spiral. Tell yeah, me a bit more. Yeah, thanks, Drago. I mean, it's uh, perhaps not that negative, but yeah, apart <laughs> from making uh, very poor attempts at puns and poetry, I'm originally from the, the shires of, of Scotland, if you like. And I guess, you know, like many people do, I, I fell into research having studied product design originally. So I was always more grounded in this idea of understanding human needs and solving problems for people, maybe less so from the kind of social science or psychology angle. Um, started off, worked in London for around 10 years years doing strategic qual work, moved to Singapore six years ago, 2013, ran a local agency for much of that time, until last year basically I stepped off the cliff, uh, followed in your own footsteps and began working independently. Stepped off the cliff, this sounds ominous, (laughs) but uh, okay, let's go back to why we wanted to produce a podcast together, yeah, Uh, and uh, we can let people know what they can expect from it. So first of all, uh, uh, importantly for us, it is an extension of what we are already doing anyway, yeah? Uh, I guess a bit of um, soul-searching over a drink, yeah? We do do a bit of that. Uh, We often find ourselves sitting down, reflecting on various things, like um, what's life like being on the road? Uh, As researchers, we um, inevitably find ourselves in uh, various places where brands meet people's lives. And... um, We uh, talk about um, the best way to make sense of um, uh, people and cultures, how they um, exist here in Asia and to help uh, brands and marketeers uh, inside uh, and outside the region uh, understand the different faces of what uh, we call Asia. And uh, importantly for us, how we as researchers can um, add some value in the whole process. Uh, Of course, we love to chew the cud, and I guess that's uh, at the core of um, what we do uh, as researchers, at the core of our craft, Um, just sharing stories, exchanging ideas, having conversations, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and and secondly, we saw a gap in the market, or hopefully a gap in the market. So as guys that listen to a wide variety of podcasts, 
we realized there's a lot of good podcasts in marketing. You know, there's some on research and there's loads of content, not necessarily podcasts on marketing, the growth of commerce, the rise of tech here in Asia, the startup scene, but nothing that really takes like a more human-centered, ground-up look at consumers, you know, real people in Asian markets. You know, questions like, who are these guys? You know, how can we understand them? What are the opportunities for brands that do? You know, all really important questions when you look at the rate of change in this region and the unique differences and cultural nuances at play when you go from one market market to the next. Now, we believe answering those kinds of questions will be valuable for those interested or involved in the marketing ecosystem in APAC, from your marketing professionals on the brand side, those who work in creative and media agencies, and of course, there are those who work in the research sector like us, um, really trying to offer some content that will give some food for thought, inspire ideas, and maybe hopefully inform one or two decisions along the way. Uh, so coming up to the third point of why we're doing this, it's a bit more of an um, egoistical, more personal reason. Um, we do see this as a journey of discovery. Um, we're looking forward to the podcast as a springboard for us, and hopefully for people who listen to it, uh, as a springboard to um, uh, learn and stimulate our own thinking. Uh, we see this as a great opportunity to have bigger and broader conversations, bigger and broader than what we uh, end up doing on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, where we have a brief and uh, we, are, we are bound by it inevitably. So uh, we want to go beyond the platitudes and generalities too. Uh, we want to um, uh, get into the nitty-gritty. Uh, we, we think this is a good opportunity to um, offer really fresh and challenging uh, perspective. Uh, and we do want to bring to the mic um, a number of different people, brand people, strategists, academics, researchers, and anyone else, really, who uh, we feel might have a revealing and a unique point of view on uh, the things we're talking about, yeah? Yeah, indeed. And I guess that that melting pot, if you like, brings us back to the name, you know, Potluck. And hopefully maybe you've guessed by now why the name is relevant, at least on some level now. Uh, without stretching the metaphor too much, which is something we're maybe, you know, guilty of as, as qual researchers, we thought the name works for three three core reasons. So first of all, there's this idea of multiplicity. You know, Potluck is an, a meal, basically, where you have both the kind of individual collective experience, people coming together to share something. And what's interesting about potluck in Asia is that it manifests itself in different ways across different markets. And basically there's different, you know, tensions at play, different, you know, coexistence factors. Secondly, there's a little bit of art, a bit of science at play. You're talking about an occasion which has got a bit of discipline versus unstructure. You know, there's there's the technical versus the crafted. There's something more systematic versus fluid. There's something for like the left and the right brain, if you like. Then there's the more like Western-centric meaning of potluck, this idea of serendipity, the element of chance and uncertainty. You're not always sure what's going to come out and you need to adapt and evolve along the way. So perhaps that's too much meaning in, in one pot, you know, but nonetheless, that's where the name came from and hopefully we'll kind of add meaning to the name as we go through this uh, podcast series. Great. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, okay, so this brings us to um, our first big theme of the week. And uh, as I said earlier, in future editions, um, uh, we will do this by uh, bringing in a number of different people. Um, but this week, we want to uh, do this in conversation uh, between Scott and myself. Um, we want to explain a few, uh, a few things, uh, if you will. So to start off with, we thought we should get stuck into the heart of um, what we do on a daily basis. 
Uh, we want to talk about qualitative research. What is it now and where is it going? So what is the value of qual research and where does it sit? Okay. That's so, the big topic for uh, today. Yeah, And let's take a step back. Let's try and define it on our own terms. What's your take on this, Scott? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, we could we could write an essay on this, but I mean, I think really we often simplify qualitative research by defining it against its counterpart, you know, quantitative research, the numbers, the data. And, you know, we often talk about qual having small samples, it's unrepresentative, it's more about specifics versus generalities. It's about discussion and observation of people versus harder structured survey questions, data analysis statistical significance and, and it really boils down to more about the why versus the what and uh, yeah all of that is broadly true um, but as a result I think we often see sometimes clients look at it a bit like a sort of indulgence this kind of mysterious thing that may or may not lead to good outcomes um, maybe can't be fully trusted or kind of relied on or it can maybe even be applied sort of narrowly as like a validation tool like a step in the process just to say you've spoken to some customers and you know hey let's move on um, but I guess in my eyes, at its best, qual research really boils down to a means of discovery and also inspiration. So by getting to the heart of who people are, the experiences they're having day to day in their lives and you know why they do what they do, which is, I guess, up for us to often work out. Um, what's interesting is our toolkit for actually getting there, getting that understanding has never been better, never been broader if we know which tools you know suit the task. Yeah, true. Um, I think, yeah, it, it is a vast toolkit. Um, we do have uh, focus groups. We have one-on-one -on -one interviews. We have ethnographic research. We go into people's homes. We go shopping with them. We talk to them online through um, specialized platforms on mobile. We analyze visual data, self-ethnography, or various forms of communication. There's lots to choose from, yeah? I agree with all you've said. To me, um, qualitative research helps us do two things that seem a bit at odds at first. Uh, it's about a, a nuanced understanding, the small stuff, and it's also about big ideas. So there's the little things that may seem insignificant at first, but uh, that may have a massively disproportionate impact on our lives. Little nuggets of value that we hold dear in our daily lives um, or uh, little triggers that have the power to change behaviors. Uh, and I think we can uncover these through what um, Rory Sutherland of Ogilvy calls the detective work that a researcher does. And then there are the big ideas that uh, emerge out of connecting with people, getting to big and unique ideas. Um, we create discussion guides and list of questions before we go into the research. But uh, sometimes the best value you get from um, research is when you go off script. Uh, I find. Uh, and when you come across these amazing veins of truth into the monolith of mundane experience, wow. Wow. <laughs> um, these massive chunks of pure gold, uh, not to stretch the metaphor too far, uh, that helps per brand growth and uh, inform uh, the foray into new products and new categories. So most of all, research is this, is, is, is this thing that's uniquely equipped to deliver first-hand understanding into the human experience. It helps businesses put humans at the center. Uh, so, um, yeah, th th this is how, how I feel about it. 
Okay, fantastic. So I guess with all of that, you know, preamble in mind, we recently sat down to discuss, you know, where Qual Research sits today, as you mentioned, Drago, the value it brings to marketing overall. And there's a lot to untangle there, but there are five big themes we managed to kind of nail down. Um, and I think, Drago, you're going to kick us off with the, with the first theme. Um, yeah, um, it's funny. You, you said earlier about how we often tend to define ourselves in opposition to um, quantitative research. And I, I realized that um, inadvertently we've, we've done the same thing here. Um, um, I'm starting with the rise of big data. Uh, as we know, uh, a lot has, has been said about big data. It's hard not to talk about it. It's hard for brands not to do big data uh, for a number of reasons. But let's first think of the connotations uh, related to the name. Uh, big data, big is generally something positive something that we want to engage with, something we want to be a part of. I mean, who doesn't want to be friends with Big Dave, with Big Scott? Everyone wants to live in the Big Apple. Every marketing exec wants to bring to his boss a piece of big data. So there you go, 10 points for branding. And then <laughs> big data is getting bigger. The internet, mobile tech, internet of things, all this tech has enabled access to unlimited data points. It's extremely valuable to tap into this wealth of behavioral understanding. So we know what people do, we know the reality of things, but it's a bit trickier to understand why things are happening, to make sense of all this. So establishing the meaning behind it and the causality, that's still a bit of a problem. Um, to give an example, I was at ITB, a big travel conference here in Singapore um, the other day. And I heard a few travel distribution people, you know, um, Agoda, Expedia, uh, talking about how there's so much data, uh, stuff like search results for hotels, uh, they could serve to their customers, that the customer doesn't know what to do with it. It feels like brand managers are in, the, in a similar place. So much candy in the store. Um, so how to make sense of all this data? What's important to look at? Um, a big question for us uh, uh, to uh, think about is, are predictive analytics and AI making qualitative research obsolete? Uh, you hear people talk about how they can tap straight into behavior, understand what people do, and almost kind of expect data to make the call for them. Uh, and I guess the beauty of A-B testing is that more often than not, uh, you find your definitive answer. But uh, you need to think of what you feed into the machine. Uh, there's a risk in too much personalization, too much customization, because again, of how complex we are as individuals, how multifaceted our world is. There are different versions of ourselves at different times. Say, I'm on booking.com, and today I need to book a two-bedroom apartment in Bali for my family. That's not the same me as when I'm uh, doing the same thing. I'm on booking.com, but this time I'm booking a small room in a business hotel in Shinjuku, downtown Tokyo. So, um, we, and, and we're not really that consistent, are we, uh, as, uh, as individuals? Not as consistent as we'd like to believe, and certainly not as consistent as, as brands want us to be. So the question is, what is relevant to whom at what time, and what that means for the brand? I think qualitative research is still equipped to answer these questions. So we're still in the game, baby. 
Yeah, I mean, I think what you're really talking about, Drago, is this, you know, context, the value of context. And I think uh, your travel example was a great one where maybe, you know, we can be at the same sitting, the same session on a travel website and I can be flipping from my persona as, you know, dad looking for that family resort versus business travel looking for somewhere, you know, convenient, accessible for, you know, for the clients, for the team. Um, and I think that's still that, you know, the context in which I'm making that decision, you know, the mindset I have can flick even from second to second, depending on, you know, the mode I'm in, if you like. And I think this is one of the, the sort of the hearts of, you know, brands have more data than ever before, but there's one big problem, that lack of contextual understanding, joining those dots meaningfully. Well, I think that word can be overused. You know, it's cliched and everything is about, you know, we have the context, you know, that we start our debriefs often with, you know, the, the context. Um, and actually, you know, as, as we sometimes go, return to as a definition, and I looked up on probably the, the first thing which came up, but, you know, context is defined as the circumstances that form the setting for an event, statement or idea, and in terms of which it can be fully understood. Now, you know, I think you'll agree that last bit is key in, in terms of which something can be fully understood. So now, I'd argue that's why qual research is becoming more like versus less important. You know, we have so many data points coupled with new data science to connect those dots, but we still need the ability to explain why the situation, which, you know, quant is very good at describing the situation, the way things are, how people are behaving and what it means um, and not just at some like you know macro level we can look at you know how the economy is changing how mar you know macro forces are shaping things pulling things uh, but at the micro more granular level of real people you know the cultures the societies they operate in which brings us to another point and you know one of the big buzzwords of modern marketing around design thinking and problem solving is empathy but how on earth are you supposed to empathise with real people if you don't know the context, you know, if you don't have that sense of real contextual understanding? Um, and look, you know, as qual researchers, sometimes we're often criticised for being a bit siloed. But I think you and I both know that you know, open-minded, qualitative researchers know that good research often involves that marriage of kind of, you know, the, the texture and colour of qual going with the kind of harder numbers, you know, the hard and the soft of, of, of quant and qual going together. And I think there's even more reasons for that to be true now. It's just that quant is no longer just about, you know, surveys and primary research. It's also about analysis of existing, you know, data sets. Um, and the other thing is, you know, qual is criticised for being conducted in out of context ways. You know, people will say, well, how can a random group of strangers in a, in a, in a focus group taken out of their normal environment talk about their lives and thoughts on a brand or how they do something, why they made X decision in a meaningful way? And you know, there's the bigger objection around how any kind of encounter with a researcher influences the way someone acts, what they say, how they explain their behaviour. Look, certainly some truth there, um, but I think it's best to see these points more as trade-offs. So, you know, we need to be aware of those limitations when we apply different methods. We always think about how we can minimise losing or, or skewing that context. And thankfully, there are now so many secondary sources of information. I don't just mean like reports. I mean, you know, user generated social media, articles, comms, you know, packaging, signage, all things in the cultural, you know, sphere, if you like, that we can gather and analyze alongside the conversations we have with people. And sometimes in place of those conversations, um, 
ultimately for me, you're still more likely to see the whole picture with versus without qual research in the mix. And I think one of the key things for us here in Singapore is that we're dealing with regional brand headquarters um, who are, you know, have marketing teams that are trying to develop strategies, apply toolkits, make things work for different types of people across different markets that don't actually have that much common ground. Um, and that's, you know, that's key. Yeah, great stuff. I totally agree with you. And this is something that we see in, in our work a lot, um, the uh, increased value of qual research, uh, both for the way uh, you um, interrogate uh, people in the environment through questioning them, but also through observation. And that understanding of the nitty-gritty nuance that you were talking about earlier. Um, I don't think a time will come when um, machines will make the calls for us. Certainly not all. Uh, there will always be someone, a brand manager, a marketeer, who'll need to make, uh, who, who, who will need to make the ultimate call. Yeah, uh, So we need to make sure that we equip them with the most relevant information and to inspire them to make that call in, in this environment that's so rapidly uh, changing, uh, both in a commercial and in a cultural sense. As David Ogilvy said, people don't think what they feel, they don't say what they think, they don't do what they say. Um, I love this quote, but it's often used as an argument against research. Uh, I think uh, now more than ever, it's about how research is done. Uh, the importance of getting it right and working with people who know what they're doing. I think this is paramount now. Yeah, I mean, I think the importance of getting it right in, in some ways runs at odds with what we're about to talk about as the fifth theme, which is this whole idea of faster, cheaper, better. And, you know, the big challenge is that clients increasingly want the answers to their questions yesterday. Yeah. Um, and there are, like, there are many reasons for that. You know, there's poor planning to the new reality of always on marketing. Um, and Drago, I think you neatly came up with uh, three acronyms um, that are behind why this is happening. And, you know, I love a, a three letter acronym. So hit me with uh, hit me with the list. Okay, mate, I've got three words for you. Q1, KPA, ZBB. Let's start with Q1. Um, brands are forced by stakeholders more and more by a shorter cycle to demonstrate growth, yeah? So they need to hit uh, pro projections or else shares drops, uh, shares, shares drop, heads roll. Uh, there are massive pressures on people we work with to get things not in uh, 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 Q2, not in Q3, but right now. Uh, then we have a KPI. Um, we've uh, witnessed this ourselves. Uh, most companies have very rigid uh, key performance indicators in place. Uh, there are silos within organizations, and uh, people are concerned about um, covering their own asses, and rightfully so. But uh, as Qual's contribution is harder to demonstrate compared to the numbers that uh, your quant can produce, uh, it really takes an experienced and uh, confident marketeer to um, see the value uh, of qual research and to defend its contribution within the organization. And finally, ZBB, uh, which is zero-based budgeting. Yeah? Uh, uh, marketing is under threat uh, compared to cost-based uh, uh, budgeting, where each department is allowed uh, some leeway and some assumptions are made about the value of each function. So, for example, whereas marketing is not directly producing any revenue for the uh, organization, uh, there is the realization that uh, you need to invest in long and short term uh, promotion of your brand and product. Uh, but it seems that uh, uh, now under zero-based budgeting, functions that, have um, that uh, can produce direct revenue uh, and can more easily therefore justify their costs 
um, uh, they're taking precedence over the likes of marketing, uh, and the likes of marketing are left with a smaller piece of the pie. Yeah, I mean, that's ironic, given that zero-based budgeting is meant to be about, you know, what budget do I need to achieve my strategic objective? Is that building awareness? Is that, you know, converting, you know, from from awareness to consideration? You know, what, what part of the funnel, if you like, am I trying to drive? What's my brand objective? And I think it's, uh, yeah, again, it's maybe more intangible, but it's it's actually one of the key reasons why zero-based budgeting is, is needed for marketing. Um, and coming back to research, I guess, in, in this theme of, of speed and things happening faster, what we've seen is a wave of new players coming in trying to address that need for speed, if you like. So you've got your social listening tools and specialists. You've got those building always on communities of customers that a brand can tap into if, you know, any given question. You've got all these quick A-B tests from Facebook you mentioned before. And you only have to go somewhere like Changi Airport to see customer experience metrics all around you. You know, how many emojis can you press at every touch point to see if something was great? And I think, again, it's it's almost saturating the customer with how brands are measuring them. It's maybe in some ways diluting the the measurement in itself. Now, look, depending on what the client wants to find out or test, there are certainly some merits in, in speed. Things can be done faster than they used to be. Uh, but this seems to have kind of dangerously leaked into all types of research, regardless of you know how complex is the problem, how complex are the questions being asked. Um, and really, Drago, I'd say is that you know, the ability to provide an answer quickly has almost become as important, sometimes more important than what's actually been found. Um, and that's a problem for, you know, that's a problem for us. It's a problem in the sector. Um, and I guess just dialing back to what we talked about at the beginning, you know, qual research is by its nature exploratory. It's open-ended, um, which really means it needs to be appreciated as something which takes time to distill at the other end. Um, you know, clients sometimes wonder, you know, why, can, why does it take a couple of weeks, you know, versus a few days to provide some answers and findings? Well, and the answer, as we all know, is that it's a process. I mean, good thinking takes time, as does the process of building a story, building a narrative uh, from what we found. Um, when we go into that sort of sacred debrief mode, that's a very specific mental zone that's full of kind of angst and uncertainty and going back and forth and, you know, things we often thought were important at the end of a project, at the end of a trip to Japan or India or China in a, in a dark room somewhere, start to kind of pale into significance as maybe a new theme emerges or something going back to the business objective maybe becomes more, you know, more important in our eyes. Um and look, we need those, that time for light bulb moments to occur. It happens on that run when you wake up in the morning, when you step back from the screen. Uh, and we need conversations. You know, we need to talk about the story as it evolves, bounce around ideas, affirm our thinking. Um, and none of that, you know, can be done quickly. Of course, you can speed up the process. You can cut some corners. Uh, but it's not something which can be easily rushed. Now, look... We also should should uh, be fair on the flip side in that, you know, we're often quite defensive about timelines. It doesn't always fit with the reality of modern business. Things need to move on. Deadlines are set. Projects, you know, managers have a job to do. I think one issue maybe lies with us as researchers, particularly those on, on the qual side. We're not maybe being open enough with clients during that kind of black box. We don't maybe make clear what goes on. Um, and it's often seen as a bit easy to sort of, you know, leave me alone, you know, shop closed for a week or two. Uh, I'll come back up for air later versus maybe having a more collaborative approach with with clients and agencies to sort of work out the story. And especially if we're taking that back to a broader group of stakeholders and trying to kind of instill what we found in the business and make it stick. Yeah. And trying to bring everyone together around an idea. Yeah. Great. Well, 
thanks for that. I think, uh, as, as you can see, uh, we uh, both like to uh, think and talk, and we hope to bring more of that uh, in uh, follow-up episodes. You've been listening to Potluck, bringing to the table unique insight into Asian brands and consumers, presented by me, Scott Percival. And me, Drago Juro. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Potluck. See you for the next edition of Potluck. And in the meantime, keep, keep it, it brewing. brewing.